Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So Andrew, as you know, every 10 episodes, we stop for a moment and ask our listeners, what questions do you have? Andrew. We call these Ask Andrew Anything. And I have a few today. Okay, but I think we should have Ask Our Listeners Anything podcast sometime. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll just invite some random people to call in and say, would you record a podcast answer for us? <laughs> yes. And what kind of questions would you like to ask our listeners, Andrew? What kind of car do you drive? <laughs> you had that question once, I did you? once have that question, yeah. <laughs> yes, but that wasn't on an Ask Andrew Anything. That was on our Monica Swanson. Oh, that's right. Her, yeah. her son had her sent son that question. Her son wanted to know. He was into cars. All right. Well, we can think about that plan. But for now, you have some questions. I do. Okay. So the first one comes from Anne. She says, I heard Andrew say many times to always spell any word a child asks you to spell. Does he feel the same about math facts? I'll elaborate just a little bit more. I so commonly hear, Mom, what's six times seven? My kids, ages 11 and 14, have a difficult time memorizing math facts. They're continuing to improve, but it is quite a process. They'll chart to refer to during math and drill, math drill facts. I want them to continue learning new concepts, so I often give them the answer to not muddy the water. I'm curious to hear your take on this situation. Can I phone a friend? <laughs> Remember that show? Who yes, wants to be a millionaire? I do. I'll phone Steve Demi. Uh-huh. And what will he say? Well, if I knew that, I wouldn't have to use <laughs> up my, my phone a friend. Well, I this is a difficult situation because there probably isn't a categorical answer. And I think maybe it's a little exaggerated that I would say always spell every word for children. That's good. What I would say is, you know, if when they're writing something in the middle of that, they ask you how to spell a word, I'd say, okay, you know, tell them rather than say, you know, stop what you're thinking and go find that word somewhere else. Mm -hmm. The good news about math facts is they are much easier to find than spelling words. Mm -hmm. You have a whole dictionary of spelling words. You've just got basically one page with multiplication facts. So I don't know. It might depend, you know, on the personality of the child or what type of math was happening. I do believe that a lot of people move into math problems that require multiplication before they have mastery of the multiplication itself. And I think this is kind of a new modern idea here. Let's move forward conceptually and the you know, the mastery of facts will happen in the process. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. That wasn't the way I remember doing it. I, I remember there was a concentrated period of time where I did nothing but get drilled on the multiplication tables. Right. And before we could move on, 
to the next concept. We had to know those. We were tested out of them. Right. So it was just flashcards mm-hmm. and, you know, every day, every day, that's all mm-hmm. I did that I know of. So I never really had that case of, hmm, I'm in the middle of a problem, maybe division or fractions or whatever, and I can't remember a multiplication fact. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, some children may need a whole lot more frequency and duration for that to sink in. But uh, I would say if that's happening a lot, it might be an indicator that just going back and pulling out those flashcards and just 10, 15, 20 times a day, work through the, you know, up to the 10 times 10 or 12 times 12. Um, I always tell the story of my father who was a master of motivation Mm. because he got me this super awesome, we wouldn't have said that at that time, I think we would have said super neat. Neato. Neato, or really, really cool Cub Scout knife, mm-hmm. kind of the precursor of the Swiss Army knife. Had all the different blades and little tools and special things, and I wanted that thing so bad. And he said, Andy, when you know all your math facts, without hesitation, this is yours. Mm-hmm. And I was so motivated to get that knife. I would have sat around and drilled multiplication tables every waking moment Mm -hmm. if it meant I could get that knife a day sooner. So I do think having that almost like a rite of passage, like, and he was tough. I mean, if he said, you know, eight times seven, and I had to think for even three seconds before saying 56, well, that didn't count. It had to be 8 times 7, 56. Mm-hmm. Boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that we we stress that as much today as we, as our parents might have experienced or we did as children. But uh, it sure does make everything easier after that. I'm afraid to make this comment, Andrew, because I don't want you to launch into your talk. <laughs> <laughs> but you have a talk on mastery learning where you tell a story of one of your daughters who is struggling with math and she goes all the way back to the beginning yep, and all memorizes back. all those facts. So we'll put a link in the show notes so that you don't have to give the whole talk here right. yep, on this that's podcast. A, that's a good plan. Okay. I have another question for you. This is now back to IEW curriculum. Okay. Our stylistic a safer technique. zone. Yes, a little safer. I can just phone you. <laughs> I don't have to phone a friend. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> so this question is from Jennifer. She asks... Teaching class today regarding who, which clauses, I had a parent ask about whose and where that fits in the IEW curriculum. For instance, the bicycle whose chain is broken is mine. Right. Yeah, it's odd because we use who about people, which about things. But when it becomes a possessive, then we always default to the whose because mm-hmm. we would never say, oh, the, this table witches legs, mm-hmm. right? So I think this is in the TWSS book, the style technique section, where we do point out that whose as well as whom in the objective or accusative case is acceptable as a who for a who which clause. Great. So look in your stylistic technique section of your teaching writing writing structure and style seminar workbook, and you should be able to find the explanation about whose and, and now whom. Okay, this question comes from Emily. She's a CC mom, classical conversations mom, and she is helping out in her son's essentials class. And she loves it. 
Well, that's good. <laughs> yes. But. Well, there's not a but yet. Oh. Hold on. This okay. is exciting. You know, this might be one of our IEW mailbag questions oh. or comments, but we have we don't have that kind of podcast yet. So if we did, Emily, your letter would go in there. It says, I have been listening to the podcast and getting prepared all summer. I'm telling everyone IEW is my curriculum crush of the year. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so here's her question. It's about copy work yes. and the point system. Andrew mentions using this with his dyslexic son. As I recall, he got 20 minutes a day to copy 100 words and got one point per word. But there's some other variations of your point system. So can you explain that? Right. Well, the way I, I introduce this is usually say, you know, you – you can motivate boys many times to do something that they don't see intrinsic value, something they would rather not do with some type of economic system. It could be points, it could be, you know, stickers, it could be, you know, chips as long as they're not edible. <laughs> or maybe they could be edible or pennies or whatever you want to do. But with my son, the system worked something like this. I said copy 100 words a day, I will pay you a penny per word. If you finish in 20 minutes, you get a 25 cent bonus. Mm -hmm. You only get paid for the correctly copied words. So if you miss a letter or misspell the word, miss a capital, you don't get paid. Now, because of his dyslexia, I didn't ding him for reversed letters, but I did not count words in which the order of the letters was mixed up. Mm -hmm. I said, uh, also, every time you whine, complain, or argue, you lose 10 cents. You get fined 10 cents. And you could go negative, and I own your bank account. <laughs> right. <laughs> Furthermore, all this money doesn't go into your pocket every day. It goes into a special fund called the Airsoft Weaponry Purchase Fund because at that age, 10 and a half, this child lived for Airsoft. Mm -hmm. You know, that was, the, <laughs> that was the great thing to look forward to. And when you'd go to play Airsoft with your, you know, your friends, Joe and Pete and Nick, <laughs> you really needed to have top quality, fresh supply, good airsoft weaponry. So very motivated. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so what was interesting is this was probably one of the hardest things I could ask him to do, given his mm -hmm. profound difficulty with reading and writing and dyslexia and everything, mm -hmm. staying in a chair. <laughs> but he was extremely motivated. So you could almost see him exercising his will over his neurology and just forcing himself, you know, to get this done. And he also never complained. Hmm. He, he never... He never got fined? He never got fined. Wow. I, I, it was odd because I thought we'd be fighting over this all the time. But no, he was, he was game right at the beginning because it was in his really most important things in life category. Mm -hmm. The airsoft, not the learning to write. And Correct, read. <laughs> yes. The, the, the airsoft. So... You know, we can. We started this out, and he started to accrue money. He started to try to figure out, well, how long will it take him to get enough money to buy the new, you know, nineteen dollars and ninety-five cents plus shipping and handling, <laughs> plus some ammo, 
from the airsoft catalog thing. And so he even came to me and said, well, could I do more than 100 words a day? Wisely, I said, no. He said, could I do it on the weekends? I said, Saturday, not Sunday. He said, why not? I said, cost too much. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was very effective. It, we continued this system for probably a good 16 months, mm. and it was hugely beneficial to him mm -hmm. just in terms of training you know, training his eyes, training his body, training his hands, training his attentiveness to detail, building stamina. Mm -hmm. He might not have been able to read all the things he was copying, but still there was a lot going on there in terms of developing just that raw musculature, if you will, mm -hmm. upon which, you know, later writing became possible. Some people have an attitude, well, you're bribing a child, mm, you know, right. they should do this anyway. You shouldn't have to right. pay them. Mm -hmm. I point out a couple things. One is bribing is when you pay someone to do something illegal or immoral, mm. right? This is neither. Mm -hmm. The second thing is you could make the argument he should do this out of respect, obedience, love, sense of duty, you know, belief that it's good for him. Ten-year-old boys don't necessarily think that way. Mm -hmm. And maybe some of them do, but not all of them. And their reaction is, well, I don't believe that it's good for me. I don't believe I should have to suffer like this. I don't believe that this is how I should show my love to you. So I'm going to try to figure a way to not do this. Right. Right? And then you, and you've been there. You've got boys. Yes. <laughs> and you get into stalling and arguing and other mm -hmm. problems and you know, falling off the chair and being hungry and then, mm -hmm. you know, some little thing distracts you. And and so I kind of look at it as saying this system, this economic system that motivates this child is helping them be the best they can be when it comes to focus and accomplishment of right. this hard thing. And it's not bribery. Of course, you know, we all love our jobs here. We do. I'm quite sure. But if I said, well, let's just all come to work because we love it. Uh, don't worry about getting paid. That's just not really important to anybody, I'm sure. Well, that wouldn't really work, would it? No, we have airsoft guns to buy. <laughs> <laughs> we have to buy our airsoft guns or presents for grandchildren yes, or indeed. cars. <laughs> So, you know, I think people have to think this through on their own, and mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not saying this is a argument to always pay your children to do what they should do. Right. I'm not this is not a discipline issue. This is a helping motivate them in a way that they understand they're being appreciated for their efforts. Good. Excellent. Okay, this question that I'm going to read to you came from one of our customers who chatted our customer service agent. So they got online and didn't want to pick up the phone, didn't want to send an email, just popped us a chat. Sure. Tough question. Okay. So you get to answer it. Hasn't it already been answered? Well, we'll just see if your answer is the same, <laughs> shall <Okay>. we? <laughs> I don't know who this is from. It's oh. an anonymous chat. Okay. I have a sixth grader and was wanting to get linguistic development through poetry memorization, but wasn't sure if we should start with level one. 
Will it be as effective as a first grade starting? Is it worth it? Yeah, it's a good question because we do tend to think, oh my, you know, this has to be appropriate to the age or maturity of Mm -hmm. the children. But I would compare this more accurately, I think, to beginning music. Mm, Right. Like, uh, so I'm a Suzuki violin teacher. And Mm -hmm. so my understanding of what we might call curricular Mm. development or in music, we usually call it repertoire, right? The pieces that you play. When you're beginning, you start with something that's relatively short, has a limited number of notes in a familiar context uh, with a limited set of skills necessary to accomplish that. Right. Regardless of how old you are. Regardless. Mm -hmm. So if you came to me and said, would you teach me to play the violin? Andrew, would you teach me to play the violin? <laughs> no. But if you, if I had said yes, um, I would start you with twinkle variations and theme in the same way that I would start a five-year-old student mm. with twinkle variations and theme. Now, it would take them, it would take him or her, a five-year-old student, much longer <laughs> maybe <laughs> to get through that first step of those four variations in theme and be able to play it from memory up to speed and all that mm-hmm. you would be able to master that faster but that doesn't mean i should skip it right that doesn't mean i should say oh well you're 50 some years old so <laughs> don't tell anyone <laughs> <laughs> so we should start Halfway through book one, (laughs) why waste all that time with Mm -hmm. Twinkle and Lightly Row and Song of the Wind and Go Tell Mm -hmm. Aunt Rudy and all that simple stuff, right? Mm -hmm. No, it's a pathway, Mm -hmm. right? So whether you're young or old, if you're starting on a pathway, the best place to start is at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Now, one could argue that you could start with any poem. Right. That's true. You could take a 12-year-old off the street and teach them the Charge of the Light Brigade. I have a story about that. And they would be fine. I have a friend who wanted her son to learn this course, but wanted to entice him with a poem and started with that one that you just mentioned. And he loved it and was hooked and then started right back over. Okay, well, good. But so you could start anywhere, Mm -hmm. but there's no harm in starting at the beginning. Right. And the poems are short, so you knock them off quickly. They're fun so that Mm -hmm. a 12-year-old can go tell a silly poem to a Mm nine-year-old, and the nine-year-old will laugh, and that'll be enjoyable for the the older student. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would encourage everyone to start with the level one poems and Mm -hmm. work through and keep at it and build the repertoire. And as you go through, the poems get longer, a little more sophisticated, broader vocabulary, and ends up with level five, those excerpts from famous speeches that, you know, would be uh, a great accomplishment for any student. Yep, great. Good. I hope that was helpful. All right, the next question comes from a homeschooling mom in Virginia. Okay. (laughs) That's all we know. That's all we know. Yes. I have a seven-year-old who writes his numbers backwards. He used to write his letters backwards, but that has since been corrected with making them out of clay per the gift of dyslexia. Mm -hmm. 
He has made the numbers in clay models too, but the method didn't take with those. Any suggestions for how to help writing with numbers? This falls in the category of ask Andrew anything, (laughs) including math lessons. We had a talk with Susan Barton Mm -hmm. uh, recently on our podcast here, so we might refer people back to that one if they haven't heard it. And she did point out that number and letter reversals at that age, right, right, up to about eight years old, are not a strong indicator of dyslexia. Mm -hmm. They're part of the normal process of growing up, although it, it can worry you yeah, know, it can worry parents. The reversal is just one of the symptoms. She said there's right. many, many more. I would guess that this child, having successfully now stopped reversing letters, mm. will in the near future reverse numbers less. But it makes me think a bit about those old letter and number strips mm-hmm. that we used to have that have the little arrows that tell you which way to go. Mm -hmm. And I find fewer people are attending to stroke order. Stroke order, yes, exactly. Direction and stroke order. Whereas I recall that was kind of an important thing. You Mm -hmm. needed to learn to make the first movement first and the second movement second. Whereas I think today... Parents, even teachers, if they're not aware of the importance of that, are more likely to just say, here, try to copy this, try right. to replicate this shape. Right. And then the child replicates the shape in any order. Right. They're less likely to get it correct and get it correct consistently. Right. So I might say, well, get out one of those old-style writing strips that has the letters and numbers with the little arrows and help the child. And seven is still very young, Mm -hmm. too. So Mm -hmm. this should be a low-stress thing. But help the child see that those little arrows are going to assist him in getting going the right way. Right. You mentioned the stroke order, our cursive knowledge program, when we were developing that, you were rather insistent that we included stroke order in there. So number strips or get our book, Cursive Knowledge. Yeah, Yeah. but you know, with letters, I mean, you could even make one of these yourself. Yes, exactly. You don't have to buy a fancy thing. The other thing that comes to mind might be that child is not too old Mm -hmm. for the idea of uh, Maria Montessori's sandpaper letters. Oh, right. Sandpaper numbers. Mm -hmm. So the child would, with their finger, trace the sandpaper and it would have the little arrows Mm. and they would just get that motion ingrained. The reversal is a kind of visual thing. We want to help the visual confusion be overcome by the muscle memory. Mm Mm-hmm by doing it the same right. way in the same time again and again. Yes, and that power the power of muscle memory cannot be underestimated. Yeah, it's not actually muscle memory, it's brain memory, but oh. it's in the kinesthetic mm. part of the brain. And so we call it muscle memory because we think of it that way. Right, exactly. But yeah, chop off your finger, it's not going to remember how to make a seven. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> so here's a question from Amber. Okay. I love this question because she starts off by saying, 
I love the podcast, which I think maybe she said that because she wants to get her question answered. Well, it It, worked. (laughs) It worked. (laughs) She is a homeschooling mom. I'll just read the question. I am a homeschool mom and have a six-year-old gifted child. She is on the last few lessons of the first Fix-It. Six years old. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah. We have modified it by having her write the sentence the next day for copy work versus writing the whole paragraph one day. She completed the PAL writing program at the age of five and writes amazingly well on her own. Should I move her into the second, fix it right away, or switch to traditional copy work? I would be inclined to continue the path she started on. If she's enjoying the fix it and it's going well, moving into fix it too will reinforce what she's learned and introduce new grammar and proofreading ideas and she'll still get the copy work. Right. So I I don't quite understand the question if what she's saying, should she be doing more copy work than the fix it affords? Mm-hmm. It sounds to me like, no, everything's going really well. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't hurt, but what's the best use of your time? Well, and actually she asks a follow-up question related to that. Okay. She does so much on her own. I fear taking the joy out of. I fear I'm taking the joy out of the writing p- process. She does creative writing for fun. She writes plays, short stories, short stories. Her last one was three pages. Wow. Yeah. Her favorite author is Shakespeare. <laughs> Six year old. Six year old. <laughs> well, here's I think uh, an activity Mrs. Ingham used to talk about as having great integrative value. And this child would probably enjoy this. Mm-hmm. So have her memorize poetry, and then each day she can write out mm. one of the poems that she's memorized. So she's or copying, a few lines of it. Copy work from her brain. Right, right copying nice. from her brain. And mm-hmm. uh, Mrs. Ingham, I remember the talk that she most strongly built the vision for. Mm-hmm this and that the children were just so delighted Mm -hmm. to be able to write down those things which they had committed to memory auditorily. Mm -hmm. So that might accomplish a couple of goals at the same time and also be an activity this child enjoys. But sounds like Amber has a lot of really good problems. Yes. (laughs) Yes, she did. I think we might have time for only one more question. Okay. So it may be, a, it's a short question. Well, make it a yes or no, and then it's guaranteed to be well, short. Well, it right? might be a long answer, though. Oh, okay. So we'll try with this. So All Janet right. from Virginia asks, what does Andrew say about mind mapping? Yes, well, for our listeners who may not be familiar with that idea, it is kind of a free-flowing system used, I think, primarily for brainstorming. It can also be used for recall of material that was read or listened to, but most commonly it's used in the context of pre-writing. So if I can build a, a picture for you here, let's say you want to write about your dog, so you put dog and make a circle around it, and then you you draw a line out from dog And you'd say, well, what can I say about my dog? Um, His breed. Okay, so you'd put breed, put that in a circle. Okay, what else could I say about my dog? Well, his tricks. Okay, so draw a line out and put tricks. 
All right, what else could I say about my dog? Um, the messes he makes. Okay, put messes. Okay, and you've done that, and you've come up with, what, in our terminology, some possible topics about your dog, some divisions. Mm-hmm. Then you'd go back to breed. Okay, what can we say? You know, he's half pug, half chihuahua. <laughs> All right, terrible combination, I'm sure, but there you have it. I don't know, what else could you say? He's small and ugly and looks like an overgrown rat who needs a bath. Okay, whatever. (laughs) Then, okay, my dog's tricks. Okay, he can sit. So you draw a line off tricks, sit. Uh, He can roll over. You draw a line off tricks, say roll over. He can attack. Okay, put a line for attack. So you basically kind of go with this trying to make extensions mm-hmm. off of ideas to get new ideas. Mm-hmm. So if you imagine, it's kind of like a shotgun. It's, it's a blast of words representing ideas all over a piece of paper or a whiteboard. So that's generally how I would describe or define it. Mm-hmm. And it can be very useful if you're sitting there saying, I can't think of anything to say. But it doesn't seem to help the children who need organization the most. As I understand, it was developed or formalized or promulgated more widely with the writing project people at Mm. UC Berkeley back in the 60s, maybe, 70s. And it was created to help adults get past the blank page Mm -hmm. problem and facilitate kind of a free-form brainstorming associative thinking. And so, you know, then they took that and kind of pushed it into the high school level where it didn't work quite as well probably. So they said, oh, we better start sooner. So they pushed it into the middle school level where it probably worked less effectively and said, oh, we better start sooner. So they pushed it into the elementary level where it probably worked least effectively. I don't think anyone who spends nose-to-nose all day with nine-year-olds would have created this as a way to help nine-year-olds organize their thoughts. Organize a nine-year-old. It's hard to say the same <laughs> sentence. <laughs> but, but we can. We know there's systems. But, you know, in our approach, we, we look at linear columns right. and we work with outlines that are more sequential. Mm-hmm. The problem for the mind mapping is, yeah, you got it all up there, but now what do you do? Mm-hmm. Where do you start? Right. Whereas with our system, at least you can get a bunch of stuff out there and say, okay, one, write this first. Two, write this next. Three. Then if you want to reorganize on the fly, you can do that, add something in, leave something out. So I'm not opposed to it. I will say that in our advanced communication series, mm-hmm. we have one class called the advanced note-taking, which is a bit like that in that it is a kind of a stick and branch system using keywords, kind of keywords on steroids, arranged geographically. But we use that for recall of red content, which began in a more organized way, or taking notes from live lectures, which in some cases is more organized, right. not always. But it's flexible enough to not be locked to a absolute linear path, which is good because you got professors go off on rabbit trails mm-hmm. and authors give little stories and interjections. 
So we, we would look at it as having value more, I think, on that side mm-hmm. than on the brainstorming side. But I don't see anything wrong with it per se. I think it just helps the children least who need help the most. Great. Well, we have a few more questions that we did not get to, but you can be assured, Andrew and listeners, that every question that you submit to us, we will answer either on our podcast or in response by one of our knowledgeable customer service agents. Yeah. I mean, if we answered all those, we'd have like a two-hour episode or something. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, nobody would listen to that. I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudoua and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.